Let's pray. Father, I, we do want to lift up um, um, just the families of these young individuals that, uh, as Travis was sharing with us, um, the car accidents that have happened. And you know the situation. We, we pray for a grieving con congregation. We pray for grieving families. And uh, even Travis this morning, is, his heart is heavy. And Lord, we thank you for the promise that we have in Christ and that your love does remain. And Lord, we do pray for your comfort, as, even as in this epistle we have learned that you are the God of all comfort that brings comfort to us in all of our tribulations. And uh, even in time of, of terrible and unfortunate loss. But Lord, we know that, um, that we can look to you um, every day and every moment that we face. And Lord, that we can receive the comfort and the strength that we need. And Lord, the wisdom and the courage that we need. And Lord, I pray that this morning that um, as we just study your word, that again, that we would taken a moment to just turn off our electronic devices and phones and, and just to focus on you and what your word has to say. And, and Lord, as we talk about this subject of giving, it, it's more than just giving of, of money or resources, Lord, but these principles also in giving of ourselves, our hearts and devotion and our service to you, Lord. And that's really what we want to gain this morning. And Father, I pray that um, we would learn uh, what the right heart is to be in giving to you. And, but most of all, just as we are reminded once again of how you freely given to us. You freely gave of your son and uh, who went to the cross freely and willingly. And Lord, that you continue to give to us even after we've received forgiveness and, and uh, we've come into right relationship with you through the cross and our faith in Jesus Christ. But Lord, even as you supply our daily needs, as you give to us your grace and mercy that is new every morning. So Lord, may our hearts be stirred this morning, our, our ears being attentive to what it is that you want to show us and remind us of as we go through this important chapter. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so, of course, Paul here is we look at chapter 9, we're going to see that it's going to continue in this whole subject of giving. And you recall, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, that the Apostle Paul has been writing to the congregation there in Corinth about the commitment that they had previously made to give to a collection that was being taken for the saints that were there in Jerusalem. And we discuss how at this time that Paul is writing this letter that those in Jerusalem, the Christians there, that they were going through some very difficult days. They were going through some really tough times because, first of all, that was uh, what was going on and taking place was there was a famine in that area of Israel. So crops were drying up and, and it was really difficult for the people uh, in that area. But also, being a Christian, uh, coming out of Judaism in the early church, that you went through persecution. You went through a time where perhaps your family would ostracize you, they would reject you because you're now a Christian. If you had a job, uh, you would probably lose your job. Uh, if you were uh, working for somebody with um, you know, a Jewish background, uh, you went through all kinds of hard things. And so Paul, what he's doing here is that he is wanting to bring relief to the Christians that were in Jerusalem. Paul had a real heart for the Christians there in that church. And I think part of it was because 
Paul had persecuted the church there in Jerusalem very heavily, as we know from the book of Acts chapter 8, and uh, before his conversion. So here is Paul wanting to bring that relief to them and, and bring an offering to them. And we know that he would write, as we saw last week in chapter 8, verse 14, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. So he's saying, you in Corinth, you're doing very well right now. And, and they're hurting down south in Jerusalem. And, and you can help, but there may be a time when you lack and they will be able to help out and, and the roles will be reversed. And, and we know that that can happen. And those of us who have traveled in life and journeyed through life um, for you know, any length of time, we know that situations and circumstances can change very quickly for us, that, that it can uh, happen because of the uncertainty of the world and, and um, because things happen fast today in the world, it seems like, economically and, and politically, but also in our own personal um, circumstances that we can face. And we know that uh, we could be blessed today and, and, and going through a smooth and, and easy time right now, or a real good time. And we thank God that he's been good to us and he has blessed us, but we don't know what the next moment holds. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And I'm not saying this to, to just put any kind of undue burden or worry in your life, but to tell you that a good principle in life, and not just with money, but in every single area, Jesus said, given it shall be given to you. And whether it is with money or, or whether it's with mercy, whether it's with the things that you have or whether it's with grace, if you extend it out, it will come back your way in your hour of need. In other words, we've received his grace and mercy, so you extend that out to others. You show grace and mercy to them because there may be a time where you need that mercy and grace in your situation as well. And so a good principle that as you are able to give to others, and I think about Ephesians chapter 4, that there is Paul, he's writing to the Ephesians, and he says that you work with your hands, that you might be able to give to those who have need. And we are to be, as Christians, you see, it's not just about us. It's about giving to others and giving to the Lord. So Paul was saying to them, as we saw last week, let there be a sharing of what you have in abundance to those who lack because it, it may be reversed someday where you find yourself in need. And then Paul would quote, as we saw in verse 15 of the previous chapter, he, he was talking uh, about the children of Israel in their wilderness wandering. So he was quoting from the book of Exodus, and he quotes, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And those who would go out and gather the manna in their wilderness wandering, they would go out and gather it, and there were some that would go and hoard the manna. They would gather a whole bunch, more than what they needed for a day. And at the end of the day, that manna would end up turning into worms. And you see, the children of Israel told, um, or the Lord told the children of Israel, that when you go out and gather that manna, that you were only to take your daily need, except for the day before the Sabbath, and that's when they were to take two days worth of manna, because there would be no manna that would fall on the Sabbath day. It was a day of rest. But anything left over at the end of the day, it would end up rotting. It would end up turning to worms. It ended up uh, going bad. And, and Paul is telling us of an important principle in our lives. Don't just be focused on hoarding. Don't just be focused on accumulating things. 
and not being willing to give. And we have seen that God wants our giving to be based on grace. Paul told us in verse 9, again of the previous chapter, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might be rich. He gave up everything, our Lord. Because of his love for you, he came to this world and he became poor and went and died on Calvary's cross for you and for me specifically that we might be rich in the things of God. We have forgiveness of sin. We, we have the hope of heaven. We come into right relationship with the Father. And so as we look forward to those things and as we have those things in our lives, I want us to be reminded once again that in this whole area of giving, that our giving is to be based not as a result of someone or a pastor or an evangelist or a ministry pressuring you or manipulating you, or begging. But our giving is to reflect our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have studied how Paul would use the churches in northern Greece, the churches of Macedonia, how they gave to this fund. And Paul says they gave willingly, they, they gave generously, they gave out of their own poverty, and they gave with urgency. In other words, Paul wasn't there going to those churches in the region of Macedonia in northern Greece and begging for money. He wasn't pressuring them and manipulating them. They wanted to give, and they gave out of their own poverty, and they gave with urgency, and they said, Paul, we want to give for our brothers and sisters that are in Jerusalem. They may not have had a lot to give, but they did want to give. And we discuss how Paul mentions the grace of God. And the reason they gave in that way was because of God's incredible grace, as we saw in verse 1 and then in verse 5, as they gave themselves to God. And a person who gives themselves to the Lord and understands the grace of God will not have a problem in giving. And that's just not of their, their money. It's of their time and their service and devotion to the Lord, desiring to give Him the first fruits of your lives. So here, in responding to this grace that is lavished on us, a person who has a passion for Jesus Christ is going to be freed up in giving. So, so those were some of the things that we looked at and discussed as we went through chapter 8. And I want to encourage you to, to, to pick up a, a, a CD of that teaching or listen to it online because I think it's really important. And, and I got uh, word, you know, and, and some feedback from many of you that we're just blessed by looking at God's word and what God has to say about us giving rather than what somebody's opinion is or what is out there where there is so much manipulation concerning giving today. And so it, now as we move into chapter 9, we're going to continue to see how God wants us to, to give and what our motive is for giving and what the right heart is for giving as we read in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now the concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. So again, in the context of giving, Paul has been addressing those in Corinth about that collection to be gathered for the saints in Jerusalem. And that is what Paul is specifically talking about here in verse 1. And the apostle has been telling them and writing to them, 
that it was a year ago that you made a commitment to give to this collection being taken there in Achaia, and, which was southern Greece, the church of Corinth. And in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, if I mentioned to you, include the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, Paul said in chapter 1 that, that they have given, now it's time for you and Achaia to complete the doing of this giving, what you've committed to. I know that there's a desire on your part to give. Now it's time to complete the doing of that. I'm going to be sending Titus and some other men to you to get that gift taken, help you in completing that, and to gather it. It's a group of men that are known throughout the churches. They have a good reputation. They are men of, of godly honesty and godly integrity. And as uh, I, I go through these chapters here, looking at and dealing with the whole idea of giving, I can truly see that Paul is full of really the wisdom of God as he's writing to this church. Because he's not being hard on the Corinthians here. He isn't saying, hey, you promised to give, so give, and I'm going to send Titus, my strong arm guy, you know, to straighten you guys out. You don't know anything about giving, and what's the matter with you guys? But rather, he, he begins to appeal to them. And he says, I know that your heart is willing to give. Matter of fact, I've been boasting about you guys to the churches up north of you in Macedonia that you were ready a year ago to give. You made a commitment to give. And it's your zeal to give. The zeal that has stored up and stirred up the majority in verse 3, yet I have sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect that as I said you may be ready lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. So I've been boasting about your willingness to give, and I know that you are willing to give. So I'm going to send Titus, and, and I'm going to send these men to you to pick it up, because after all, I don't want my boasting of you to be in vain. I don't want you to be ashamed of this boasting of mine because you are unprepared to give. So let's make sure that you follow through with what you were willing to do. And so that's why these guys are coming to you in verse 5. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So Paul was really kind of concerned that uh, giving um, be uh, that they would understand out of generosity, not a, a grudging obligation. And that was important to the apostle because it's important to the Lord. Can you imagine, think about this, if God gave to us grudgingly? What if he said to us, well, I, I guess I should you know, supply all their needs. I, I, I guess, you know, I should provide for, you know, those Christians down there, or for you personally. I ought to bless them. I really don't want to, but, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to. You know, God doesn't give that way. What if it was the father that said, I don't want to give my son to this world. And what if it was Jesus that said, I don't want to go to the cross, you know, if he had the attitude of, I'm not sure I want to die for sinful humanity. I don't know if I want to die for you personally. I'll just kind of hang out here in Galilee for a while and think about it. 
And we know that's not the heart of our Lord. That's not the heart of our Father at all. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It was Jesus that went freely and willingly to the cross for the joy that was set before him, the joy being you, you personally, he endured the cross and despised the shame. So this is the wonderful truth that, that, that we celebrate, that, that God gave his only begotten son and Jesus came willingly to this world to die on a cross for you and for me so that we can have that forgiveness of sin and, and in the hope of heaven, that we have that, that hope of an eternal inheritance. He gave himself to us because of his love for us. So the Lord does give to us freely and generously and lovingly. Even after salvation, he gives to us now. His mercies are new every day. He desires to continue to provide for us. He continues to desire for us to do well in life and experience that life abundantly that he has for us, that he desires for us to experience. So here Paul is encouraging the saints to, to do good. And remember that for you and for me, anyone who is working and ministering to others, whether it's teaching our children or, or small groups or ministering here at Calvary Chapel. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says that let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So when we talk about giving to others, remind people how the Lord has given to us freely and willingly, and then we are to stir up others to do good works. The King James says, let us provoke one another in love and good works. That's one of the things that I try to do with others, to meet them where they're at and raise them up, to encourage them, to provoke them. It's, it has the idea of kind of poking. You know, somebody kind of provokes you and kind of poking them and, and to do good works, to, to do well in the things of the Lord. And I pray that that's the kind of fellowship that we are, that we would provoke others. Just kind of, you know, hey, do well in the things of the Lord, you know? Out in the coffee shop, poking one another. Are you reading your Bibles in the morning? You know? Are you, you praying to the Lord? Huh? You know? Kind of provoking one another to do good works and to do those things that are pleasing to the Lord, to give to the Lord, to edify and to exhort. I pray that it wouldn't be said of this fellowship or any of us that we're just ones that we like to criticize and, you know, just kind of tear others down or be negative all the time. I pray that it would never be said of us that all we have to offer is our opinions and, and negative comments. But I know that's not us. And I know that's not you. And I love it when I hear people just provoking others to love and to do good works. And that is what we're to be about. And that's what the apostle is doing here with this congregation of Corinth. He was encouraging them, provoking them to do well. Hey, I know that you guys are willing to give, and Paul is using this situation to encourage them to do better in this whole area of giving because they needed to be encouraged and exhorted in this area. It's like my sons, Luke, who was playing football this fall for the state champions, Day Springs Christian Eagles, and played middle linebacker. And it was fun as we really enjoyed the Saturdays watching him out there making tackles. And then his little brother, David, who's just starting middle school football. And, you know, when you start football, learning how to tackle and, and, and learn your equipment and trusting your equipment and all of this. And so Luke would encourage, uh, you know, David, hey, just go out, David, and make a tackle. Just go out and make one tackle, and then you'll be wanting to make more tackles. And it was encouragement. It helped David in that. 
David who watched his brother making tackles you know, on those Saturdays and Friday nights. And, and now David was being encouraged that I can do that. And at the end of the season, you know, David's out there bombing guys you know, twice his size and doing well because he was encouraged and provoked by his older brother. And here's Paul, the elder brother. That's what he's doing to the believers here, the Christians that he ministered to. He provoked them to, to love and good works. You can do better in this area of giving. He wasn't criticizing them. He wasn't being all negative to them, telling them they're a bunch of tightwads and you should be ashamed of yourselves. But lovingly and very wisely, he's encouraging and edifying and exhorting them to do better in the things of the kingdom. And not just in this area of giving, but in this whole area of doing well in the things of God, whatever area of their lives. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers. And there's nothing more sad to me than to see Christians that murmur and tear down and complain about others all the time. And to me, it's indicative that they're struggling spiritually. So we are called to encourage and we are called to provoke, to love, to good works, edify and build up our brothers and sisters in the Lord. So may we follow the example of the apostle here. And again, I'm not suggesting in any kind of manipulating or trickery or being fake about it, but there are times for those honest, you know, uh, provoking others into doing well in the things of God. That's one of the things that I really love about going to the pastor's conference. I'm going to go to the pastor's conference in a couple weeks after the Sunday morning services. I'll go for the week and be back before the next weekend. And, and I get opportunity to, to go out most every year to be with Pastor Chuck and be with the other senior pastors. And I, I love being with them because you talk with the guys and we kind of provoke one another, encourage each other. And I tell you, it's a tremendous blessing to me to be able to have that because I need that. And I love it when my pastor stands up, Pastor Chuck, and he says, I know that you guys are doing well, he says. And my heart says, thank you, Lord. But then he says, but you can do a little better. And I go, yeah, you know, I can. And he's so good about lifting us up and telling us just to be faithful to what God has called you to do, men, and, and just be loving your people and teaching the word of God and leave the rest up to the Lord. He'll take care of the results and know that God's going to bless you. He's going to provide for you. And I hope and I pray that that happens here in this fellowship, and I know that it does. So that was the example of Paul. He says, don't let this boasting of mine be in vain, and I'm going to be sending the brethren ahead to help prepare for this generous gift beforehand. And then verse 6, but I say this, and he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this whole concept of, of sowing and reaping has to do, of course, with farming. And we live in an agriculture area. We understand that. It's a law of nature that if you sow seed sparingly, your harvest will also reap sparingly. If you sow seed bountifully, your harvest will also reap bountifully. Proverbs chapter 11 tells us, The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. So what do we reap if we give? Remember that that here, um, that it's just not talking about material things, but 
the Lord desires to bless us spiritually as well. Now, Malachi chapter 3, the prophet was writing there, and God was saying to the people that will, you know, a man rob God. And he goes on, and, and the Lord says through the prophet that you are robbing me. And you say, how are we robbing you, Lord? Well, through the tithes and the offerings that they were not giving. And God goes on to say that bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that it may be food in my house and try me. Or in other words, that means test me on this. Interesting that God says in one area that I tell you to test me in, and that is giving. Test me, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So we can trust the Lord with our needs, and God will provide for the giving heart. The promise of Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Paul said that, what, in the context of the generous giving and hearts of the Philippian believers. Remember, they are part of this you know, group of, of churches that Paul was talking about, the Macedonian churches that were given to that Jerusalem fund. And again, they were giving generously. They were giving out of their own poverty. They were giving willingly. They were giving with urgency. Paul, please take this fund. We don't have a whole lot to give, but we want to give to our brothers and sisters that are hurting in Jerusalem. And they would also give to Paul as well, as we know from that epistle. And Paul says, the fruit that comes from my ministry is going to be put on your account, your eternal account. But they were giving this church at Philippi when they were hurting themselves. And yet they still gave. And Paul says, God will supply all of your needs. That's the context. He's going to take care of you. And God will give to us. And he will bless us in this life, but more importantly, in eternal life, giving us those eternal rewards. Jesus talked about how we will be blessed in eternity. That we are to lay up our treasures in heaven. Now, as I mentioned last week, that there have been those who have come along and they perverted this whole idea of God blessing us. And they've come up with all kinds of theology, and part of it has been the seed faith theology that God will give to you a hundredfold, so send me your seed faith money. And as I mentioned last week, have you ever noticed that they always say, send me your seed faith, and then release the faith that, that you have to receive a hundredfold, you know. And there's all kinds of similar gimmicks as well. I think it was second service that... I was talking about, and I get these letters, you know, at least a couple year that a ministry sends, you know, and, and they'll have a prayer cloth or something in it and say, you know, take this prayer cloth and send it back and especially anointed or send your money and your seat faith and you're going to be rewarded and you're going to receive a hundredfold back and all of this. And I remember one was really irritating because it had addressed on the envelope, Pastor Jeff Fix, Calvary Chapel Greeley, and I open it up and it says, Dear Mr. Chapel, you know, and all of this. And it's like, you know, I really care for you and I've been thinking but you've been on my heart and all of this, Mr. Chapel, and, you know, or it comes back, there's been a few others, Mr. Tiggs, and I even had one that said Mr. Pigs and all of this, and it just, you know, you're reading this and you're thinking, yeah, you really care about me, you can't even get my name right, and on and on and on. Send in your seed faith money and, uh, you know, I want to write to you because I want you to be blessed, and, and as I mentioned, it just, as I look at that, I think, God, what a ripoff. And I, and I want to write back and say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a chance to receive a hundredfold and practice what it is that you preach, so why don't you send me a seed faith? 
And notice that they always say, you know, send to me, and that's why it's a gimmick. Because if they really believe, that they really believe what they are saying, then they would be writing to churches and saying, hey, we're going to give you some money because we believe God's going to repay us a hundredfold. And that's what they would be doing. And the scripture that they use in, in this heresy that they teach, one of the scriptures is Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife and children or lands for my sakes shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now in that text, Jesus did not mean that we would receive a hundred houses if we give up a house for him. When you read the the chapter in its context and always read it in its context because without the text you're going to get the con folks and you see that jesus is clearly talking about the deceitfulness of riches in a few verses before matthew chapter 19 verse 29 there in verse 21 he tells the rich young ruler hey give everything away and come follow me the problem wasn't that the rich young ruler was rich and he had things the problem was that those things possessed him in his heart and he wasn't willing to give those things up to follow after jesus and as we discussed last week if you have anything that you can't let go of that has a priority over your love and devotion to the lord then that thing has you and there is a problem in your life for any of us, for anything. And so he's saying to the rich young ruler, you know, give up those things. There's a problem here. Yeah, you boast about you kept the commandments from your youth, but you have these riches, these possessions of yours that really possess you in your heart. And then in verse 23, he says, he warns that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So then to take Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, and to say that we're to take this passage literally is really to reduce the passage to logical absurdity. It really is. I mean, it would be one thing for Christ to promise 101 return when it comes to money or to houses. It would be quite another to promise 101 return on wives and children. I don't know about you, but that just sounds a little bit too good of a deal for me. So. so I want to make this clear when we talk about God's blessing us. Don't swallow the faith preacher's nonsense, but know the heart of Scripture, that God does bless us, and He may bless you materially because every good gift comes from above, and He will supply your needs. So don't get too attached, though, to money or wealth, what you have, because they're going to go away. And remember that the Lord wants to bless you, that he desires more than anything to bless you with all spiritual blessings. That's the priority. And whatever God has blessed you with, use it for the furtherance of the gospel, for the betterment of those around you, and lead your life as a responsible steward of what God has given to you, so that one day when you do get to heaven, you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then God will richly, richly reward you in heaven as we stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. So this spiritual law that is given to us, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And one of the things that you will find out in giving is that you cannot outgive God. And then in verse 7, Paul really gets to the heart of the whole issue of giving. He says, let each one of us, as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And Paul tells us as Christians that we are to give, first of all, as he says, let each one give, that is, let each one should be giving to God. You, you may not have much to give, but each one is to give, and we are to give with the right kind of heart. Again, Paul writes, as he's inspired by the Spirit of God, we are to give as you purpose in your own heart. That word purpose means to bring forth. It means to make by choice. It means to choose beforehand. So the New Testament standard of giving is that giving is from your own free will. You are to give what has been purposed in your heart, not, you know, I'm just going to give because I ought to give and this is what I'm told to give. And, but no, what has the Lord put on your heart? It is giving what the Lord has purposed in your heart. So last week, we were talking about this, and I said, have you asked the Lord recently? Have you asked the Lord, what is it that you want me to give? We know that the Word of God declares, and it is God's will, that we do give. Paul has just said, let each one give. And so go to the Lord and ask, Lord, what would you have me to give? Not just in money. But this is a principle when it comes to our time, when it comes to our service to the Lord, when it comes to, to using my talents for the Lord, when it comes to my devotion to the Lord. What would you have me to give? Let him purpose that in your heart. And then again, Paul says, when giving, don't do it grudgingly. That is, you are giving reluctantly or regretfully without complaining. How would you like it if this Christmas or on your birthday... If your spouse or your kids gave you, you know, a gift grudgingly saying, here, here you go. Ah, I had to go out and spend more money on it than I wanted to. And I hate going shopping. And took a lot of my time. I got better things to do. And they're just kind of complaining, being negative when they're giving you something. And you would have the mindset of, you know, here, have it back. That's not giving. Do we give grudgingly to God who has given to us freely eternal life, who's given us of his son. And you see, and I really mean this, and I say this humbly, but if you give grudgingly to this church, will you take the check or the money and put it back in your pocket? Because it doesn't honor the ministry here, and it doesn't honor the Lord. And God's desire, and what my desire is that you give freely, and willingly, and cheerfully, not grudgingly, not out of necessity. That is, you're giving because you've been manipulated to be one that gives. And please don't understand me and what the scripture is telling us. It does not mean that as we allow you to give freely and having the offering boxes, we don't take an offering here, but it doesn't mean that, that anyone who uh, takes an offering in a ministry or mentions money is a false teacher. In this whole passage of chapters 8 and 9, we are dealing with asking the Corinthians to give. So there's nothing wrong with asking people to give or letting people know what the needs are uh, at all. I believe the problem is the pressure tactics. And you hear it all the time on Christian TV. Hey, give, 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 and then at the end it's like, give to us or we're going to have to go off the air. I've heard even radio programs and other radio stations, you know, that, that have been out there in the past that, you know, 30-minute radio program and 10 minutes of it is, you got to give or God's work going to stop and we're going to be off the air. And, and I think, well, maybe God wants you off the air. If it's just asking for money all the time. That's what I love about Grace FM. And the guys and the Calvary guys that are, that are, are teaching on it, and I don't mean to be boasting uh, about all these guys, but you know what? 
we want to, as we're on the air on Grace FM, we just want to freely give to northern Colorado, down to the Denver area, as we give the word of God, as we give the gospel message to others. We want to freely give that. And we know that as we do, that God's going to take care of us and provide for us to continue to be on the air. So here the Lord is desiring for us to give what has been purposed in our hearts, what he's put on our hearts. And if you ever give because you feel like you're under guilt or the law or pressure or some kind of obligation, don't even bother. God wants us, as we also learn, to be a cheerful giver. And I want to encourage you to underline verse 7 here. Instead of giving grudgingly or out of necessity, God wants us to give cheerfully. The Greek word is hilaros, is the literal Greek word where we get our English word hilarious. Interesting, God wants us to give hilariously. God loves a hilarious giver. So we should really change the names of the offering box to the hilarious box. <laughs> it, it, it means the opposite of grumbling. Uh, another translation literally could be God loves a glad giver. So you don't want to be a sad giver. You don't want to be a mad giver. You want to be a glad giver, don't you? And that's what pleases the Lord. When Paul was writing that first letter that we have in scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to the Corinthians, he said, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You can be given everything that you have, but if it's not out of your love for God, then you're wasting your money. And this is where real spiritual maturity comes into play. That a, more that a person loves God, devoted to God, giving themselves to the Lord, as we read, and understands the grace of God, the more that they're just going to trust Him and rely on His grace and provision, the more they're dedicated to Him, and not just your money, but your time and ability and talents. You see, it's not up to me to tell you how much you are to give. I'm to be simply faithful to present to you what the Word of God has to say about giving. And we see that God wants you to give happily and gladly, and you see, as you're giving yourself to the Lord, you will do that. Because that's how God gives to us. And true giving comes from a glad heart, and it will give us a glad heart as we do give. And Paul goes on to tell us the right kind of giving is, is always blessed, as verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have an all-sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. And it is written, he has dis dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So a common worry that comes up when we give individually, when we give corporately, will there be enough for me? Will there be enough for us for this fellowship? And the answer is yes, and God has proved that over the years. And I would refer you again to Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 19, where we are told God will supply our needs. I love to give to God. Because I know that he will be faithful and he will honor that giving. I love to give to God as a fellowship. And, and I'll tell you the truth on this, that a healthy church will not be begging for you to give. But we will, should be begging, really, to give to others. That's why I like to focus as, as a church, as a fellowship, to give what the Lord has put on our hearts to give. And we may not be a huge fellowship, but we have given. And the Lord honors that. We've given to people that have real needs. We've given to those who go in the mission field. We've given to thousands upon thousands of CDs. We've given away Bibles, and, and we have given away, we give the, the, the program on the radio on Grace FM freely to people because we know that God's going to bless it. And God will supply our needs, and He has, and we can't outgive God. 
And Jesus taught that even the smallest gift is given with the right kind of heart, that it's going to be rewarded. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, And whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of, of a disciple, surely I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. God is able to make all grace abound towards us. God blesses us so we can bless others. God wants us to be channels of blessings, not just reservoirs of blessings. And Paul quotes from Psalm 112, verse 9, He has dispersed abroad and given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Paul's not trying to say that generous giving makes us righteous, but it does give evidence of a righteous standing with God, that we're devoted to Him. In verse 10, Now, now may the, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply the, and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So Paul in this letter here begins to pray. For blessing for the Christians that are giving. Paul prays that God would supply resources to the Christians so that they may give and at the same time multiply what they have given. And while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. You see, when you and I give, then it will bring praise and honor and glory to God. People will have a heart of thanksgiving to Him. Oftentimes, you know, when we have the opportunity, when we give to people, they will say, you know, thank you, Pastor Jeff, or if we give to ministries or whatever. And, and I'll tell them, don't thank me, thank God. He's the one that supplied this need for you. He's the one that's worthy of your praise and thanksgiving. And then verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and to all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. So your giving generously and gladly is evident of God's work in you, of your obedience as well, that God is truly doing a work in your heart. And the gift that you Corinthians give to the saints there in Jerusalem is going to prompt them to pray for you. And that really needed to happen. Because in the early church, there was a bit of a tension between the Gentile churches and then the church in Jerusalem. And this would bring them closer together. And then Paul closes this section by uh, saying in verse 15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God's indescribable gift, that is his son. The gift of God to mankind, sending his son freely and willingly, who's given us everything as he went to the cross for us. And so, Father, we thank you. And we thank you for this, this message. And, and, Lord, we're thankful that we see how it is that we are to give. First of all, we're very thankful that you give to us freely. You gave us your Son, who gave us eternal life. And, Lord, my prayer is, is that as we come this morning, that that we know that you did give your son to die on Calvary's cross for us. And we know that he came to this world to die for sinners, and that's all of us. And that salvation is a free gift that is given to that one who comes in faith and trust in Jesus' death on the cross, believing in his heart that Jesus Christ died for me, and died for my sins. And Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. So I pray that this morning, as we do it at our services, that 
If there's anyone here in the sanctuary or out in a coffee shop and you've never truly surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, he loves you. He gave freely because of his love for you. And Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, that joy being you, endured the cross, despising the shame. And you see, the scripture says that we've all sinned. We're all bankrupt. We're all poor spiritually. And Jesus came to pay the debt for your sin on Calvary's cross. There's no other way for salvation. No one else died for you. No one else rose from the grave. And Jesus cried out from the cross when he was dying for your sins that of all the sins were placed upon him, he would cry out that it is finished. I've done the work and I've paid the price for your sins. And now you come freely and willingly. Open up your heart to him to receive salvation, forgiveness of sin, to have that relationship restored to the Father that comes through only through Jesus Christ. He loves you. Don't pass this moment up because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. Just as we heard a testimony this morning of the tragic death of young people, that, that Lord, we don't know, and, and we don't say that to, to worry or put on due burden, but that's reality. And if you're here and you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, today's the day of salvation is what the scripture says. And you pray right where you're sitting. You realize that you are a sinner that needs to be forgiven. And you pray, Jesus, come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior because I'm a sinner and I now turn to you. I surrender my heart to you. I believe in you, that you're the Son of God who died for my sins and that you were put into a grave and you rose again after three days. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your love for me and giving to me freely and willingly and help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to raise your hand. If you're out in a coffee shop, we have elders out there. I want you to raise your hand. We just want to take a moment, anybody at all this morning, come into salvation here in this place. We don't want you to miss the opportunity to come to Christ if anyone needs to. Anybody at all this morning? Okay. Father, we do now come and we ask that our hearts would be right in our giving to you, not just of our money, but of our time and our devotion, of our service to you, because you have given to us so much. And Lord, I just pray that you would just strengthen us and guide us and that you would supply our needs because we come in here, people that have need, maybe it's just emotionally, maybe it's just um, needing guidance or wisdom, maybe it's, we need uh, provision, Lord, that you would provide for your people. And Lord, that we would trust you that we can just place ourselves in your hands in every area of our lives, knowing that you're going to work and that you're going to see us through. So, Lord, thank you for this time that we've had in your word. I pray that you bless the rest of our weekend and our week coming up. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. <laughs>